Hello, my name is Michael Albert, and I am the host of the podcast titled Revolution Z. This is episode 47 of Revolution Z, and it is the final session devoted to conveying the proposed dialogue and visuals of the screenplay and hoped-for movie titled Next American Revolution. That is to say, in the words of Jim Morrison of The Doors, this is the end, or at least the end of that. So imagine you are in a movie theater, viewing Next American Revolution, which you are about to see the end of. The scene you are now seeing is the Oval Office of the U.S. White House, where Miguel Guevara continues his interview of President Malcolm King, who says, So that small gathering was when running became more than pipe dream gossip. Miguel Guevara asks, Okay, then when did you first think you might actually win? Malcolm King replies, I came to believe we might elect an RPS president and then keep the office, whoever the candidate might be, in 2039 during the general strike. You next see a visual montage of a general strike, and you hear Malcolm King's voice over the visual. You see cities shut down. You see workplaces empty. You see stores and malls empty. You see streets full of marching workers, and you see police join. You see huge statehouse rallies, and you hear Malcolm King's voice over the visuals say, You couldn't experience the incredible power of workers stopping the country and showing such an incredible depth of commitment to revolutionizing society and not feel that one part of what was to come would be taking over the government and putting it in service of fundamental change. I was amazed, inspired, but also humbled. The crowds were enormous. We could have at that time surged into government offices all over the country, including in Washington. That much was possible already in 2039. But what then? We weren't ready to staff, much less rebuild all the agencies and handle, much less redefine all the tasks. And in any case, we didn't want to usurp government with a unilateral act. And finally, while we could have done it, could we have held it against violent efforts to oust us? We didn't yet have a full program developed from our base, discussed and refined at anything like the comprehensive scale we would need to use the government to effectively help and promote ongoing activism. We realized that if we were going to protect, maintain, and grow participation in rebuilding society, we had to win office and change government in an accountable, participatory way. We had to do it when we not only had the votes, but the required informed, sustained support and not by charging into office with no plan. We didn't have time to amass all that by 2040, so it would be 2044 at the earliest. Until then, and thereafter even more so, we had to keep creating new institutions and winning changes in old ones. We had to build popular support and clarity, not only for momentarily taking over workplaces, schools, hospitals, local agency, and also the national government, but to then ward off elite attempts at reversing the steps taken. Miguel Guevara asks, So you ran to win, Malcolm King answers. We ran to win, yes, and to hold on and enlarge once we did win, yes, but with an absolute commitment that we would not compromise RPS views to seek votes. Miguel Guevara asks, When did you begin to think you really would win in 2044? Malcolm King answers, You know, we just worked day after day, not thinking ahead to winning or not. Until, for me at least, at the first debate in late September, when vitriol failed and reason prevailed. The scene changes to the first presidential debate, where you see the two candidates make closing statements. Moderator says, now please, closing statements. Opposing candidate says, Senator King, how can you possibly have the audacity to stand before the American people and they should elect you president? 
You, a man who anarchistically aims to overthrow our government. You, a man who socialistically wants to obliterate our property rights. You, a man who femi-Nazi-like threatens to topple society's family product. You, a man who femi-Nazi-like threatens to topple society's family fabric. A man who would cravenly reduce our armaments, our armed forces, and our police to passivity. A man who would make our country pitifully weak. A man who denies religion, attacks individual creativity, and promotes soul-destroying collectivism. It will be a pleasure to ship you and your movement's pathetic power envy and psychotic animalistic anger back to the fringe communities that spawned it. I happily cede to you my remaining time. Take as long as you like to reply. Your words will only deepen the horror our audience already feels at your vile intentions. Malcolm King says, No more to say? No more vague, wild assertions? Nothing positive to offer? Okay, I will gladly use your remaining time. You wonder at my wanting to anarchistically overthrow our government. I plead guilty. Unlike you, I don't want to preserve elitist, centralizing, mind-numbingly anti-democratic, bureaucratic structures against participation by the American people, just to preserve the power of centralizing psychophants like yourself, who unaccountably control the destiny of millions. I prefer popular self-management. You decry my socialistically opposing few hands holding productive property, and I again plead guilty. Unlike you, I am not enamored of enriching property holders beyond the wildest dreams of past kings. I do not think being born with a deed in your hand is the highest form of human achievement, or that it is any achievement at all. I reject that people like yourself should own societies, rivers, lakes, resources, machinery, and places of production, much less rule over them like tin-pot dictators. You ought to be aware, however, that you missed a further target to ridicule. I also oppose a relatively small sector of the population monopolizing empowering work. I want to share that work more equally so that everyone is prepared by their work to participate in social decisions. Unlike you, I want equitable incomes for all. I want empowering, dignified work for all. I want people able to decide their own working lives. I would say it is a wonder that you don't want these gains for all humanity, but your attitude isn't a wonder. It is unmitigated, self-seeking, antisocial greed. You say, I want to, femi-Nazi-like, topple the familiar fabric of civilization. Why? Because I want young and old people to have a say over their own lives? Because I want families and all living units to freely nurture the next generation without imposing preordained definition of what boys and girls have to become? Because I want parents and children and extended families to have optimal health care, empowering work, and shared responsibility for their own and for all social life? Because I want women respected and empowered? Because I want sexual preference to be whatever free people prefer? Because I reject turning back the gender clock a century in your misogynistic, homophobic, harassing mode? The human nurturing fabric of society you claim to worry about is already at risk. People like you don't see its deep scars despite your own broken homes and the bedlam so visibly endured by so many all around you. You can't see the truth of our times because your heart is a cash register and your paranoid eyes perceive only profit potentials. I want to restore and enrich society's fabric. You want to rape and plunder society. I see all families as repositories of love and sources of wise, confident participation. You see most families as sources of cheap, obedient labor. I see society's countless communities as allied and equal centers of creative diversity. You see all but your own community as fringe targets to ridicule, restrain, and repress. 
You say I would disarm the country and leave us helpless because I reject siphoning society's wealth into useless and pointless weapons that, were they used, would destroy all humanity. You say I would neuter the police because I want properly paid and empowered police that serve the public, not power. And I want our children's and our children's children's human potentials to develop free from war, free from pestilence, free from coercion and restriction, in a world of shared peace and plenty. I am guilty yet again. You are absolutely right. I want all that. You call it making our country weak and defenseless. I call it making our country worth defending. You say I deny religion and sublimate the individual to the collective. Why? Because I want all religions, races, ethnicities, and nationalities to be free of fear of imposition and negation from without? Because I want individuals and collectives prepared and in position to self-manage their desires without having to submit to the whims of the rich and domineering elites you serve? You are right again. I do reject your racism, your sexism, your homophobia. I am guilty as charged. You say that it was a pleasure to have run against me, and that it will be a pleasure to ship me and revolutionary participatory society's pathetic envy and psychotic animalistic anger back to the fringe dwellings that spawned it. Well, I have some news for you. Those fringe dwellings are the soup kitchens, apartment buildings, private homes, schools, hospitals, ball fields, theater stages, churches, and workplaces of America. Fringe to your gilded millionaire lifestyle. Yes, I suppose so. We will soon see what goes away and what goes forward. Will the American people vote against RPS and their own futures, and less relevantly, against Celia and I? Or will they not only elect the two of us, but continue their steadily escalating popular participation in revolutionizing all sides of all of our lives? After your display here tonight, I too feel ready to predict the outcome. I predict that some folks will vote for you due to fearing make-believe demons that you and your media moguls have manufactured. And I predict some will vote for you to defend their elite interests with no concern for society. But I predict most people see past the confusions and prejudices that have historically allowed the likes of you to win office. You are about as venal as was, say, Donald Trump 28 years ago. Your ignorant, manipulative posturing, your brutish bullying, your pathetically hypocritical lies, and your blatantly self-serving views, all admittedly more eloquently expressed than Trump could ever manage, have lost too much of their deceptive power for you to push anything aside, much less to push aside RPS, the most grassroots, democratic, participatory, multifocused movement this country has ever seen. Good luck with that. I wish I could be a gentleman and say it was a pleasure to run against you. But I can't. It has been a bore because you are an empty vessel of hate. It has been depressing because even in one lonely body like yours, such an amalgamation of narcissistic evil as you embrace is seriously depressing to behold. We will soon see what the country despises. Will it opt for you and your hate and fear and the billionaires who pray you will prevail to help them amass still more millions and billions? Or will it opt for Celia and RPS and for me, and for hopes and thoughts, and for the women and men, boys and girls, movements and activists who work for our campaign to prevail so that we can in turn humbly aid their efforts to build a vastly better future. Time is on our side. Your day is slip-sliding away. You, sitting in the theater, next see pandemonium in the audience. And then the scene shifts back to the Oval Office, where the interview continues. Miguel Guevara asks, Okay, then. When were you absolutely sure you would become president? Malcolm King answers, I guess it would show appropriate modesty to say only when the ballots were counted, but it would be a lie. 
I knew for certain we would win at the Houston rally the second week in October. To have a million people greet us on the streets of Houston, clearly aware of and supporting our program and not just us, was incredible. I looked at Celia, she looked at me, and we both knew the vote would be a landslide. The scene shifts to Houston downtown. You see people wave ecstatically at the candidate's motorcade. You see a visual montage of national celebrations of election victory. You see celebration in New York City. You see celebration in Chicago. You see celebration in St. Louis. You see celebration in San Francisco. The scene shifts to the presidential press briefing room, where you see Miguel Guevara, now press secretary, report to assembled press. Miguel Guevara says, Good morning. As press secretary, as usual, I have a lot of ground to cover, so let's settle down and begin. If you will bear with me for a minute, I would like to offer a few words before taking your questions. As you know, yesterday, President Malcolm King spoke to the UN General Assembly and the world. His speech was simple, emotional, and blunt. It reflected unfolding events and aspirations. For any of you who may have missed it, in the first part he apologized, in the second part he promised, in the third part he celebrated, in the conclusion he embraced. The scene shifts to the UN General Assembly, where you see Malcolm King, wearing an RPS hat, address the General Assembly. President Malcolm King says, In the name of my country, I apologize for our military and fiscal role in international mayhem and injustice, from Latin America to Asia and from Europe to Africa. I apologize to Korea, the Philippines, Indonesia, Guyana, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, the Congo, Zaire, Brazil, the Dominican Republic, and Cuba. I apologize to Chile, Greece, East Timor, Nicaragua, Grenada, El Salvador, Libya, Panama, Iraq, Afghanistan, Haiti, Yugoslavia, Iran, Venezuela, Somalia, and Syria. I apologize for our support of dictators, for our exploitative extractions, for our arms shipments and our arms use. I apologize for threats, boycotts, and destruction, for massacring Native Americans, for slavery and racism, sexism, and sexual predation, for Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and more. The scene shifts back to the briefing room, where you see Guevara continue addressing assembled press. Miguel Guevara says, King promised we would together reverse our history of exploitation and violence toward others, and in its place enact a new agenda of sharing and respect. He promised we would study war no more, and instead foster solidarity and mutual aid with the same energy and effort that we previously put to war-making and profit-seeking. He promised and evidenced an entirely new and compassionate internationalist mindset. He celebrated transforming our domestic defining institutions of polity, economy, culture, and kinship, and our relation to the natural environment, to remove hierarchies of wealth and power, and to attain a sustainable new historical beginning. He promised to aid and learn from all those who have already or who will now take up similar aims, as they deem suitable, worldwide. The scene shifts back to the UN General Assembly, where you see King continue his speech. President Malcolm King says to the Assembly, Amidst our tremendous sustaining and enriching diversity, we need to embrace our shared universal humanity. We need to celebrate and apply our shared values of human liberation, solidarity, diversity, equity, self-management, international peace, and environmental balance to all our own countries, each in mutual aid with the rest. We must reject greed and profit-seeking. We must reject self-aggrandizement and power-wielding. We must usher in a new era of empathy, a new time of joyous exploration of our collective capacities. 
as an emissary and servant of the revolutionary people of the United States, and in accord with their wishes and learning from their incredible endeavors, I embrace all who will do so, and the UN itself as a valuable tool for the task. The scene shifts back to the briefing room, where you see Guevara conclude his remarks. Miguel Guevara says, Now, if you have questions, yes, pointing at you, why don't you begin? You see a vast plain on which appears a scrolling collage of photos of interviewees' famous namesakes and of interviewees themselves as a backdrop for the end credits. You hear his musical accompaniment, a medley of excerpts from powerful songs. You finally see this text, RPS, The Next American Revolution, from a time just beyond tomorrow, from a place cloned from our own, Activists of the Organization for a Revolutionary Participatory Society have described their successfully still unfolding struggle to transform their United States. A question arises. What about our time, our place, our country? Do we want it to persist as it has, with some modest change now and then, but basically with its features preserved or even worsened? Or does RPS's story cause us to feel we can win enlightened equity rather than deadly decadence? Can we now seek promising potentials rather than suffer oppressive obstacles? The time has come today, hasn't it? And so ends this effort to convey the visuals and dialogue of the hoped-for movie, The Next American Revolution. I hope it's been instructive, entertaining, perhaps even a little inspiring. I hope you will consider visiting www.patreon.com slash revolutionz to become a patron of this project and to help us. In the future, we want to continue with episodes about vision and strategy, about the current electoral season unfolding. We want to have guests on discussing all these matters. But for now, this is Michael Albert signing off for Revolution Z.